tears, he led them through the cold and through the night. Though they said, let's turn back, Moses said, keep going, Canaan land is just inside. There will be no sorrow there in that tomorrow. We will be there by and by. Milk and honey flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. Though we walk through valleys, though we climb high mountains, we cannot give up the fight. We must be like Moses. We must keep on going. Canaan land is just inside. There will be no sorrow there in that tomorrow. We will be there by and by. Milk and honey flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. There will be no sorrow there in that tomorrow. We will be there by and by. Milk and honey flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. Is just inside. Well, amen. Canaan land is just inside. Amen. That's pretty good. You know, Canaan land doesn't really represent, uh, biblically and uh, doctrinally, doesn't really represent heaven. It represents the crucified Christian life, living in a state of surrender, submission to the Lord Jesus. And uh, again, we cross over the Red Sea, and that's salvation. We get into that wilderness. That's not a place any of us want to be in our Christian life. But then we enter into Canaan, victorious Christian living. And that's what it's really all about. And yet, we sing a song like that, and who cannot help but think about the day when we enter that place called heaven. What a blessing that's going to be. Amen. Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. We're going to look at a passage here. Speaking of Canaan land, we're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, not so much Canaan land itself, but just something that took place about that same time frame. Numbers chapter 32. So good to have you with us today. Again, we had a tremendous VBS, a wonderful time. Uh, I haven't gotten all the numbers yet. Uh, we ended late last week, and as a result of this past week, and as a result of that, uh, we still have to compile numbers and double-check a few things before we tell or say exactly, you know, how many were saved, what kind of decisions were made. We, we don't want to say anything until we can really confirm everything and get all the paperwork done. So we'll give you an update on that probably next Sunday, let you in on what was going on, how well it turned out. But it did. It turned out great. Uh, we had, I think, over 140-some kids in here one night alone, just in here. And then we had, of course, our teenagers, uh, almost uh, 50 or 60 or so out there. 
And uh, so we had a good group, probably a couple hundred or so here uh, in the nights, uh, in the evenings. And that was a blessing. And we're excited about that. And uh, in spite of the weather, we did. We had a good turnout. We, we thank the Lord for that. Obviously, I think if the weather had been a little better, we might have had a little better turnout. But that's okay. You know, the Lord knew exactly who needed what. And, and it turned out exactly as the Lord would have it, I believe. And so we had a good time. And uh, he was good to us. And the number of people trusted Christ, we'll give you some more numbers, like I said, next week. Numbers chapter 32. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through the verse, first 15 verses of that passage. And uh, then we'll, we'll go from there. <clears throat> so um, I'll read aloud. You read silently with me, if you would, please. Now the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, had a very great multitude of cattle. When they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that beheld, they beheld the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest, and unto the priests of the congregation, saying, Ataroth and Dibon and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon, Elielah and Shemba and Nebo and Beon. It's amazing how I pronounced all those words. <laughs> I have no idea if they're right, but nonetheless, I pronounced them somehow, some way. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, If we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? Wherefore discharge ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over unto the land which the Lord hath given them. Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the valley of Eskil and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he sware, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and jo Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them w w wander in the wilderness forty years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. Behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men, to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people. Israel's history is well documented in the word of God. We know it's not well documented in history or human, human's history, but it is definitely well documented in God's history. Their conquest and continued existence stands as a monument to the reality and the very power of God himself. Israel's been delivered out of Egypt by this time. They've crossed over the Red Sea. They have received the law at the hand of Moses, and now they have sought to implement and to apply those laws into their life, both practically and in worship. The wilderness had taken its toll, and those 20 and over had perished in the wilderness. As a result, as it was said here, the unbelief of the people, the hard-heartedness of the people to possess the land that God had intended them to possess. 
And now we arrive at a passage that once again reveals a defining moment in the history of this great nation. They are prepared to enter and to occupy the land that was promised to Abraham so many years prior. The people are weary from spending 40 years in the wilderness. They're ready now to assume the land. They're ready to take charge and to move forward. And here we have this very crucial, very critical moment in their history. The Reubenites and the Gadites make their way to Moses and they make a request. A request that could upset the whole apple cart, could mess everything up. This morning as we consider the passage, we're going to note that although the situation took place over 3,000 years ago, it is still relevant, it is still helpful and practical for you and I today. And I want to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, The Greatest Disservice. The Greatest Disservice. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at some background in the passage and make an application, and I hope and trust that it will encourage us today as we move forward to occupy what God has given us. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the privilege that we have to gather. Again, it is our request that you would show up in a mighty way. Accept the Spirit of God. Show up, Lord. We're going to waste this time. We need your presence and your power even now. Fill us and use us. Be with me. May I be your mouthpiece. Be with your people. May we hear with spiritual ears. Lord, may we take to heart this simple principle. And may you be glorified in it all. Or if there be any here that are without Jesus Christ that do not have that confidence of eternal life and heaven is their home one day, may they settle it before they leave. Lord, for we that know you, may we, Father, truly be inspired and encouraged, Father, to take the next step in our Christian life. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, as we look at the passage, we note some background. We see the present. In verse 5 through 7, we, we notice that The Bible tells us, Wherefore said they, If we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. Now God's plan and purpose for the people of God was to go to the promised land, to cross over Jordan, to occupy this this land that had been promised way back in Abraham's time and has continued throughout. And yet here we have a people now, a couple of the tribes that come to Moses and basically say, and bring us not over Jordan. Do you understand how that had to sound to Moses, who 40 years earlier had heard a group of people say, oh, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, and, and if we go over there, we'll be consumed, we'll be wrecked, we'll be ruined. We can't go over on that side, Jordan. We've got to stay on this side, Jordan. And so Moses is rehearsing that in his mind and in his ears as he hears this request. And the tense of of The people of God had been resting in the plain of Moab for some time now. For many months, it seems. And some of them had grown a little weary and maybe thought, well, you know, this isn't such a bad land after all. I mean, it provides for us all the land we need for our cattle. And we, of course, are a people of cattle. They may or may not have had any other alternative intentions other than just simply to provide for their family, to make a a nest for their homes and all of those things. And yet, when he hears that information, it bothers him. It strikes at a chord that certainly didn't sit well with him. 
The people of God had had a number of conquests. There they had defeated the land of Sihon and the king Og. And now here they are in that land, waiting to cross over Jordan, waiting to possess the land promised to them. And these people say, wait a second, we've already defeated this king. We've already conquered this land. We will be content to stay here on this side, Jordan. Moses is going, oh no, I've heard this song and dance before. This isn't good. In verse 6 and 7, he responds, he says to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? Wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Shall your brethren go to war? Shall they be exposed to all the hardships and all the hazards of the field and of the, the the hardships of war, while you sit here relaxing, taking it easy? Don't kid yourself, Gad and Reuben. I'll never go for such a lazy and such a cowardice proposition. I'll never buy into your program. I'll never believe that this is in the best interest of all of Israel. This is all about you wanting to take your ease while the rest go into war and try to provide for them and their families. No, no, this isn't going to get it. And so Moses was pretty upset as he heard this information, as he thought back on how it affected the people of God just 40 years earlier. We see the present, but we note the past. Again, we've touched on it already, but in verses 8 through 16, Moses will take the time now to be very specific about what did transpire. How the spies did check out the land. How they did come back with so many wonderful uh, so many wonderful things, and yet, the, and yet they discouraged the brethren and said, we can't go into the land. And so he begins to share that information. He rehearses that story very, very simply and yet very detailed. And he basically says, your fathers did exactly what you're doing now. And because they did that, we were all punished. And shouldn't the punishment of your fathers make you wiser than this? I mean, why aren't you being more careful not to sin? Why would you allow yourselves to fall into the same trap as your fathers did? You know, it's really true that if men did consider, as they should, what would be the end of their sin, they'd probably be more afraid of beginning it. You know, if we really thought about the end of sin, we'd probably be much more apprehensive about the beginning of it. I mean, if a man understood that a year or two down the road he's going to lose his family because of pornography, he probably wouldn't have looked at it to begin with. If a wife knew that flirting with some man at work at the water cooler a year or two later would lead to immorality, it would ultimately cost her her husband and her family. She probably wouldn't start that. We could go through scenario after scenario. And the fact is, is if we really considered where sin would take us, we'd probably be less apt to begin it. And Moses is looking at these people, these two tribes, the Reubenites and the Gadites, and he's saying, wait, 
can't you see where their sin landed them? Don't you understand where this plan is going to land us again as a nation? The people will be discouraged. They won't even go into the land because you won't be there to fight with them. Well, in verses 17 through 27, we see the plan that's then shared with the people. And basically, Moses, he grants their request. He ultimately says, fine, you're going to stay on this side, Jordan. You're going to occupy this land. It's okay. However, there are some conditions to it. There's going to be some conditions. First of all, you're never going to lay down your arms or your weapons until your brethren lay down their weapons. Until they're done fighting for their land, you will continue to stand side by side with them and fight with them. Even as they fought side by side with you to take the land that King Og possessed, and now you rest so peacefully in, you're going to fight side by side with them as they occupy the land God's given them. So they promised to go armed before the children of Israel. Look at verse 17. And this is an important truth. But we ourselves will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. So we're going to leave our families behind, but we are going to go fight. And notice again in verse 17 that he says, We will go armed before the children of Israel. Now I think that's interesting. Reading that, it, it really doesn't trigger anything until we read a little bit later in verse 20 and 21. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 20 and 21. Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord in war, to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the what? Before the Lord. Now see, that's why we need to read our Bibles. Because there's a tremendous truth that we're trying to be taught here. See, the people of Gad and the Reubenites and Gadites, they looked and said, you know what? Okay, fine. Fine, we will go armed before the children of Israel. And Moses turns around and says, no, you won't. You'll go armed before the Lord. This isn't about them. It's about Him. This isn't about you doing them a favor. It's about you doing your responsibility and fulfilling your purpose that God had and intended for you. So many times, if we're not careful, we we fall into the same trap as the children of Israel, these Reubenites and Gadites. We look at what's going on around us and we say, wow, you know, you know, the work of God, you know, it's all about what the pastor wants. And it's all about the church getting to this new building. Or it's all about the church. And they want us to help with this. And they want us to do this. And they want us to be involved in soul winning. They want us to help with the teaching responsibility. They want us to help with helping in the classrooms. Oh, they got this BBS going on. Well, I guess I'll help the church. I guess I'll help the pastor. I guess I'll help the people of God. No, 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 no. It's his business. We got to get that figured out. We've got to understand it isn't about a pastor's dream. It isn't about your dreams. It's about God's vision. It's about God's purpose for us here. Peter says, man, we've got to start churches. We need to build uh, uh, the ministry. We need to do something to reach the world with the gospel. And somebody says, well, I guess I'll help the pastor do that. That's God's dream. That's God's vision. Man, we're serving the Lord today. We're not serving a pastor. We're not serving even a people. We're serving God today. 
And these folks back there thought, well, okay, we'll go armed before the children of Israel. Moses says, no, you won't. You'll go armed before the Lord. Because that's his purpose and that's his plan. That's what he wants for Israel. We're to occupy that land. If you discourage your brethren and they don't occupy that land, we will not fulfill the purpose and plan for God as a nation. We said, this isn't your brother's cause. This is God's cause. Moses then warns them. (laughs) A great passage in Numbers 32, 23. He warns them that if they break their promise, well, he says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. He's saying, if you fail... To follow through. If you do not stand side by side, if you do not wield a sword and hold a, a shield, if you don't go forth into battle alongside your brethren and you don't fight for the cause of God, and His people, then you'll sin against the Lord and not against just the brethren only. And he says, Be sure your sin will find you out. God's going to hold you accountable for it. Whether or not you feel that it's important or not doesn't matter. The fact is, is that God says this is business. This is important. So what's the principle then? We, we note very quickly, we've noted the present, the past, the plan. Here it is now again. Here they are in the midst looking to go into the, into, to Canaan. And two of the tribes say, listen, we're content to stay on this side. We don't want to cross Jordan. We're content to, to raise our families on this side. We've already overcome the enemy. We've already occupied this land. We're content to rest and remain here. And Moses said, you can't do that because you'll discourage your brother. And if you don't go fight side by side with them, they may get so discouraged that they say, we can't take that land without them. We're not going over. Just like your fathers discouraged their brethren. Just like it happened 40 years ago, it's going to happen again. Because you're not picking up a sword. You're not getting in the battle. And finally he said, fine. He says, if you want to stay on this side, that's all right. But let me tell you, you're going to have to pick up a sword. And you're going to have to stand side by side. And you're going to have to fight on behalf of the Lord, the Lord and uh, until the people occupy the land. If you choose not to do so, be sure your sin will find you out. Everybody's going to fight. Everybody's going to battle. Everybody's going to war. That's the game plan. Because this is God's cause, not just Israel's cause. So what's the principle then? God is very concerned about the spirit of his people. You have to keep that in mind always. God cares about the person. Look at the person beside you for a minute. I know it's very difficult. It is. It's hard to do that. You know, you're like, oh, great. Look at them. Do you know that God cares about how they feel? God's concerned about whether they're encouraged or discouraged. Do you know that God thinks that's important? You say, yeah, that's the problem. God thinks it's pretty big time. God thinks it's important what that person beside you, how they feel about the things of the Lord. It's important to God. He's not happy when someone says something or does something that would discourage them in the battle. He's not happy at all about that. That that does not please God when someone discourages somebody in the work of God or the battle that's taking place in the Christian life. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. Take your Bible, turn there, would you please? As we consider the principle. We must hurry. So do your best to get there as soon as possible. 
<clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, verse 1, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as a little chi- children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Isn't that interesting? Now listen, we, can, we, we understand that Jesus was there and he was speaking literally right there. Here are some little children. Do you see them? And uh, they are my children. And you discourage those children. It would be better for you to just go out and uh, kill yourself. That's what he said. Now somebody said, that's ridiculous. How could you even say that Jesus would ever say that? He just said it. It's not that he wants anyone to hang a millstone around their neck, that he wants anyone to jump into a lake with it. It's not that he wants someone to take their life. That's not the issue here. The issue is he says, listen, you'd be better off to do that than to discourage someone because I'd go easier on you if you killed yourself than if you turn around and discourage one of these little ones that believe in me. Someone says, well, if somebody kills themselves, they go to heaven. I don't know. You tell me. Are they saved or not? Do they know Christ their Savior? Have they been born again? Have they been placed in the, bo- the family of God? Have they received everlasting life? Because if they have everlasting life, that's forever life. That's all I know. But he said it would be better if you did that than to discourage that person right beside you. Look at them again. Just look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Turn around and look at somebody beside you. He says you'd be better off to put a millstone around your neck, go jump in the deepest lake you could, than to turn around and discourage them in the battle and the work of God. If they believe in me, don't you dare discourage them. See, we are God's children. See, today we're God's children. Back then they were literal children he was talking about. But listen, we know biblically and scripturally that we can make the application to you and I today because we are God's children, John 1, 12. But as many as received unto them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Galatians three twenty six. for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We are God's children today. Do you believe in him? If you're a child, you believe in him. He says, listen, don't you discourage somebody that believes in me. Don't you dare do that. be better off to hang a millstone around your neck and go out there and jump in a lake than to discourage them. You don't mess with God's people, His children. That's not good business. There's six things the Lord doth, excuse me, doth the Lord hate, He says in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate. You say, I wonder what God hates. I didn't know God hated anything. Well, the Bible says these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Here they are. A proud look. God hates that. A lying tongue. God hates that. Hands that shed innocent blood. God hates that. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. God hates it. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. God hates it. And a false witness that speaketh lies. God hates it. Hold on. Here's the seventh. Abomination. And he that soweth discord among brethren. You know what sowing discord does, don't you? discourages people. Have you ever had a family situation and it seems like people are trying to divide your family? 
Man, you get somebody that's trying to divide your family, whether it's a wife or a husband, whether it's one of the kids trying to get between husband and wife, it doesn't matter. It's discouraging. Division. We don't want that. Discord. Not pos- it's not positive at all. Sowing discord discourages the brethren. God takes issue with those who discourage his people, his children. And in this particular case, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh ultimately are going to want to settle on this side, Jordan, instead of crossing over Jordan as God had intended and God had outlined. And now Moses is concerned. He's like, don't you realize you're going to discourage your brothers? Don't you realize that they could even possibly choose not to even go into the land because they're afraid they won't have the ability, the power, the opportunity to defeat the enemy? That they'll be too strong for them and they'll say, I'm afraid to go into the land. We had all of us together fighting, going forward, all on, in one mind, striving together for the cause of God. And now we're divided. I don't think we can do it alone. Well, it's only two tribes and maybe a half tribe of Manasseh. I just don't think we can do it alone. Well, it wouldn't be alone, but that's how you feel sometimes whenever there are those sitting on the sidelines while you're in the battle. You've been there, haven't you? And that's exactly what Moses was concerned about with the people of God. So what's this great principle that we learn from our passage? Here it is now. Here's the great principle. The greatest disservice is a lack of service. The greatest disservice is a lack of service. See, when certain of God's people sit while others battle, it discourages those in the battle. That's discouraging. Wherever you are in your Christian life, you need to be engaged in the battle. Somehow, someone. See, not everybody is as able or qualified to do certain things. When I was in the military, we went to basic training, and then we went to advanced individual training, and then we would go to other schools to maybe instill some more abilities and uh, wisdom and, and, and battle and those kind of things. So we would be, take steps in our, our military life to prepare us for another step of responsibility. You're going to be a private. Well, there's certain things you can do as a private. And there's certain things you can't do as a private because you haven't been properly trained. You haven't had the experience. You've not been at it long enough. But then as you continue in the military a while, you go to this particular school, you get certified in this particular training element, and pretty soon you get another stripe, and now you're a specialist or you're an E4. And there's certain things you can do as an E4 you couldn't do as a private And then pretty soon you you go maybe to another school or some kind of training course or you get some more experience in the military and they say, guess what? You're qualified now to be a sergeant. And as a sergeant, you have responsibilities you did not have as an E4 or as an E1, a private. Now, all I'm saying is I don't know where you're at in your Christian life. But what I do know is this. Everybody, everybody needs to be in the battle. Whatever you feel God has for you, it's going to include some warfare and battle. He doesn't call some to ease and others to battle. 
We're all to fight. That's a reality. You say, how do you know that? Well, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible clearly exposes or explains that we are soldiers in a battle. It says, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. I think it's pretty obvious and clear that you and I are revealed to be soldiers, that God intends us to fight a warfare, a battle. The Christian life is not... A, a Caribbean cruise. It's not a perpetual vacation. The Christian life is a warfare. It is a battle. And may I say that God does not need any armchair quarterbacks. You've met those, haven't you? You know, we sit in our homes and we watch them on the field playing and we go, Man, he should have thrown that a little further. Yeah, it's easier said than done. I don't know why they called that play. I mean, why didn't they give that running back the ball instead of throwing it and getting it intercepted and losing the whole Super Bowl? Armchair quarterbacks. Now, if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you're pretty upset. But if you like Brady and some of the boys up there in New England, you're pretty happy about that call. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. And that's okay, but we know... We're talking about the NFL, baby. We're talking about something big in God's eyes. <laughs> okay, maybe not that big. But nonetheless, armchair quarterbacks. Where we're sitting, back, relaxing. Oh, man, this cool drink is good. Ooh, those chips taste good, too, with that cheese. But we got all the answers for those guys doing battle on the field armchair quarterbacks. See, God's never going to tell you to be an armchair quarterback in the work of God. He's never going to tell you to go around telling everybody else how to get it done while you do nothing. It doesn't work that way because we're all supposed to be in the battle, see? We're all involved somehow, some way. Some in one capacity, others in other capacities. Not everybody doing the exact same thing all the time. But there is an element where we're all involved in the battle. We're all struggling. We're all striving. We're all fighting. The truth is this, when people sit on the sidelines and enjoy the benefit of the victories, but don't participate in the battle, it discourages the brother. So how is this principle applied today practically? And very, very quickly, because we're really out of time. What must we do as believers then? We realize or we noted that the greatest disservice is a lack of service. So what do I need to do in order not to be guilty of discouraging the brethren? So that I'm not 
caught on the sideline while others are involved in the work. Let me give you just three basic thoughts. Number one, be in your place for worship. Be in your place for worship. The Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Do you know what was going on in the early church? This is what was going on in the early church. Come on! Come on! Come on! You're going to jail! Ripping them out of their homes, throwing them in prison, some of them dying for their faith. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. His family sitting over here doesn't know where he's at, doesn't know what's going on with him, doesn't get word. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have the U.S. mail. They had no clue whether he was alive or dead in most cases. You know all they had? Look beside you for a second. Look at somebody beside you. Go ahead, please. Obey your pastor for a minute. (laughs) Do you realize that is all they had, is what you just saw? Do you realize that? That's all they had was each other. And that's why they needed to be together. That's why they needed one another. The problem is today, we don't need each other, do we? We don't even need the house of God in most cases. We're content. We can live our lives and do perfectly fine. There's no big deal. Nothing going on that's that crucial or that critical. We can handle it. I don't need those people down there. I don't need their help. I don't need their encouragement. You just don't understand when you feel that way. And I'm not saying you do. You're here today. But I'm saying if you ever get to that place or if you know somebody kind of like that that says they're a Christian but has nothing to do with the house of God, you know what they've said? I don't really need them. And it doesn't matter whether I show up or not. It don't matter to them. That's not true at all. Because, see, we need each other. Because if he's sitting on the sideline over here while this guy's in the battle, he's looking for someone to encourage him. He's saying, man, I'm, getting, I'm having the darts of Satan cast at me. Man, I'm in the midst of the heated battle. I mean, I'm lucky to drag my tail between my legs and get to God's house, let alone feel good about things. And I need somebody to lift me up and encourage me. I've got to have those people of God. Thanks, brother. You can get out of here before you go to jail. Be in your place for worship. See, the early church met together consistently. Someone says, I just don't understand why you have to be at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Bible don't say nothing about no Wednesday night. It did say they was in church on Sunday, though. We could maybe make a case for being on at church on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, though. We could probably make a case for that. But you say, well, there's so many in the Bible where I have to be there Wednesday. I can't do that, but I will show you where they met every day. So we could make that case. Maybe we should have services every night. Well, Wednesday school preacher. You get where I'm going? I mean, okay, now, now, so we've settled that issue. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night is not out of the ordinary. That is not beyond our reasonable service. The fact is, though, is I want to encourage you. Listen, being in the battles, being here at times, this is a good place to be. This is a place where we can encourage one another. This is a place where we get the rest and relaxation. This is a place where we get lifted up and exhorted. Be in your place for worship. What, another practical thing that we can do. We're talking about being in the battle. Some's on the sidelines, some in the war. Listen, let's be in the battle by being in our place for worship. Let's be in the battle by being in your place for work. So what do you mean work? I'm talking about the work of God. I'm not talking about a place where we make a lot of extra money so we can build an addition on our house. 
I'm not opposed to additions on houses. I wish I made enough money that I could help you put one on yours. I mean that. I wish I was rich. I would help so many people be sickening. I'd love to buy vehicles for people. I'd love to do certain things for folks. Wouldn't you love to have money to be able to do that and still have enough to live? I mean, it would be wonderful. I'd love to be able right now to write a check for $100,000 and give it to the building fund. I'd do it in a minute. If somebody gave me hundred grand right now, I'd write the check and give it. You say, you wouldn't do that. Oh, I know I'd do that because years ago, if I told the Lord, give me $1,000, I'll give it to the church to buy a computer. I got the $1,000 God said he'd give me, and I gave it to the church just like I said. Oh, I'd give it. Now, if he gives it to me tomorrow, that's a different story. But if he gives it to me today, it's going to the building fund. <laughs> I said throw that in because I just got thinking, what if he does give me 100 grand? And I really didn't even pray about that. I just said it. I'm going to give myself time to pray about that one. <laughs> Be in your place for work. So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together into the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. Now, there's a lot of work to do in a church. There's cleaning to do. There's nurseries to take care of things. There's buses to keep maintained. There's, there's, there's uh, uh, you know, everything from giving and going and doing. I mean, there's, there's just so much to take pla- that takes place in a ministry. And there's always something to be done. Get involved. Find somewhere to fit in. Do something. So it says, where are their needs? I'll guarantee you there's needs in that nursery. I'll guarantee you there's needs in the cleaning crew. I'll guarantee you there's needs. Well, I'm a far above that. Wait a second. Let's see. Last time I checked, if you're a private, you can't do what a sergeant does. Remember, there's, we, you know, we, by the way, do you know that I didn't get to tell them what I was going to be in the Army? They said, guess what? You're a private. <laughs> and I went, but you don't understand. I'm so much smarter than the sergeants. Oh, in that case, go ahead. I will give you your stripes, we'll pay you the money, and we'll let you have all the authority because you said you're self-proclaimed sergeant. That'll work out good for us. Now, they didn't care what I thought. They said, no, you're going to prove yourself down there before we give you more responsibility. And, you know, that works good for them, but let's that happen in the church and people go, I don't understand why everybody acts like you have to do this before you can do that. Man, do something. Just do something. Get involved in the work. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Be in your place for worship. Be in your place for work. Let me encourage you one more thing. Be in your place for witnessing. Be in your place for witnessing. Boy, there's so many people dying and going to hell. You know, the church was left here to win people to Christ. That's the main purpose. I told my wife the other day, I said, if I ever give up Community Baptist Temple, I'm not so sure that I wouldn't go around just doing one thing, trying to win people to Christ. That'd be my main mission. I think that'd be what I'd want to do more than anything else, just try to win people. Because in the end, I think that's what's going to really matter. Oh, I know there's an administrative aspect of the church. There's a lot of things that have to take place, and I'm well aware of the responsibility, and I, I, I receive it, and I embrace it gladly. I have no problem with that. But I'm just saying that when it's all said and done, there's not one thing you could do or I could do more valuable in light of eternity than win someone to Christ or be influential in helping them find Christ, pointing them in the right direction, giving them a track or encouraging them in the things of Christ or helping them to realize how valuable a relationship with Jesus is. 
you might not even have the privilege of leading them, but you can help plant the seed that ultimately leads to that. Witnessing, I mean, we've got to get involved in the work. We've got to get involved in the worship. But yes, we have to be in our place for witnessing. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Man, we've, we've got Jesus Christ. We've got His Word. And we have the answers we need. Here they are. It's not complicated. See, the world's rule book changes every week, every month, every year. What's right ten years ago is wrong today. What was wrong ten years ago is right today. It, the rule book changes. We're very fortunate as believers. Our rule book doesn't change. It, it's settled in heaven. It's perfect. And it's right. When we go out with the express purpose of sharing Christ and extending the gospel to others, we're going out for battle. And God wants us all to hold a sword, wield a sword. And God wants all of us to put on the armor and go out into the world in which we live and get in the battle. I would encourage you to take some tracks out there. I would encourage you to talk to somebody at work about Jesus and how good he is. I want to encourage you to say, I know that I may receive a little ridicule. I know that I may be ostracized to some degree, but I'm not going to, to, I'm not going to back down from my responsibility to be in the battle. There are folks that come to Community Baptist Temple on Saturdays and literally give their mornings up to go knock on doors out in this community. They're in the battle. I want to encourage you. you got time on Saturday. Try to make time if you have to. Get here. And by the way, it helps when we see faces because we go, man, we're not alone. It helps us. It helps the people of God. The children of Reuben and Gad, they come to Moses and they say, hey, Moses, listen. This is pretty nice land we're living in. This is pretty awesome. We have a lot of cattle and this is perfect for cattle. We don't plant a lot of crops or anything, and this particular ground is suited for cattle. Can we stay here? This is where we really want to build our lives and our homes and our families. God wants us to occupy on this side. Moses says, man, I've heard this song and dance before. People are going to get discouraged if they don't think you're going to go into battle with them. And they fought to help you get what you've got. And now you need to fight with them and to get what you, what they are supposed to have. Don't discourage them. God has a purpose and a plan. And it involves all of us. We all need to be together in this plan and purpose. And they say, okay. All right. We will not sit and take ease while they hold a sword and fight. We'll stand side by side. And until they lay their sword down, we won't lay ours down. The greatest disservice is a lack of service. Because that discourages one another. Let's stay in the battle. Let's fight the battle. Let's give our lives to the battle. Because in the end... That's what will matter in eternity. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. 
It's not time for rest. It's time for warfare. Let's stay in the battle. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? I mean, if, God forbid, you closed your eyes in death today, would you open them in the place called heaven, in the presence of Jesus Christ? Maybe you'd say, I don't know that for sure. I would like to think so. I want you to know that the Word of God has provided us with precious promises. God's Word says, and it never changes, by the way. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Wouldn't you like to know today? I know I would if I didn't know. Don't bring your good works. Don't bring your human effort. Don't come thinking somehow you've got to do something to make this happen. Just come as you are a sinner in need of Christ. And bring your heart and lay it down before the cross and say, Lord, I just need to see what you have to say about it. I need you. I don't need me. I need you. You know, he'll hear your cry. He'll answer your prayer. Before you know it, you'll leave here with a confidence, not because you're all that, but because he is. Do you know him? Are you saved? Is it settled? And if you are, then are you willing to be in the battle if you're not? And if you are, let me encourage you, don't lay down the sword. Hold on to it. Keep fighting. Father, we love you. We thank you again for all you do for us and all you mean to us.